Don't touch that dial. You are now tuned in to Pruner TV, brought to you by Adobe Radio in partnership with Nice Guy Digital. Without further ado, here's the guy who once played Charlize Theron's boyfriend in a Japanese car commercial. Your host, Aaron Pruner. How much coffee is too much coffee? Is too much coffee, like, I've had this conversation a lot because I drink a lot of coffee. Like, my wife tells me, you need to drink enough water. But coffee is mostly water. And that's my argument. You get the best of both worlds. You get caffeine and you get the hydrating value and quality of a good cup of H2O, especially in the world of drought-ridden California. Um, hi! Everyone, this is Aaron Pruner, and you are now tuned in to Pruner TV. This is episode number nine. How are you? I hope well. I hope well. Um, I want to thank you for sticking with us here at Adobe Radio. And if you're so inclined, you can follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pruner TV. And I am Aaron Flux. Uh, so that's cool. Today... I'm joined by actor Alex Rich. He plays the young Pablo Picasso in season two of Nat Geo's Emmy-nominated series, Genius. It's pretty cool. I've seen the first episode, and I'm stoked to have him in here. Antonio Banderas plays the older Pablo Picasso everyone's all familiar with. But Alex Rich here is the star, and he steals the damn show. So I highly recommend you guys tune in when that show premieres on Tuesday, April 24th on Nat Geo. It's a two-hour premiere. I believe it airs on 9, 9 p.m. that night. If you're into that sort of thing. It's another week in uh, this garbage fire of a world we call planet Earth. And hopefully you're finding some sort of joy in, uh, you know, in the various forms of escapism you you uh you you dip into me it's tv for me although it's also my job so there's this weird blur this 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 line that i cross over sometimes from escapism into priorities but i'm here today to say hello to you all and try to guide you through just guide you through and i'm here today hi brett hi i didn't know if you were going to talk or not I'll talk. Um, to, here's here's something interesting. I have a few pieces of info here. On this day, April 17th in 1937, Daffy Duck, Elmer J. Fudd, and Petunia Pig were debuted as cartoons. That's what I was going to guess when you said on this day. I was going to – that's exactly what I was going to guess. All right. On this day in 2011 uh, – Daffy Duck died and Petunia Jesus. buried him. Wow. Uh, that's – I don't know. Horrible. <laughs> Look. God. So, if, to all the children listening out there, Daffy Duck is still alive and kicking. Yeah. And Petunia Spitting Pig. on everybody. Petunia Pig found found love yeah. in her piggy world. I don't know. What happened in 2011? Game of Thrones premiered on HBO. Oh. On this day. 2011? Yep. Oh, boy. Yep. And I started watching it four years later. Did you? Yeah, I was late to the game on Game of Thrones. I'm not a fan of the show. Really? I don't like that show. Not at all. Not really. Why? Vikings is better. 
Okay, but why? Yeah, but I never really got on the Game of Thrones train. I never got. I I, I never read the books, and there, there's that whole you know. Oh, I read the books and the TV show. Just really no, I I didn't do that, and I sort of dove dove it. Season one. I never episode, read the books. Episode one of season one throws you in on, to the deep end to be like, here's all these people, and you really just need to keep track. And I don't know. Aside from Tyrion Lannister and Daenerys Targaryen, I don't like anyone on the show. And um, I, I don't hate them. They're just not characters I really connect with. How much time did you give it? I've seen every episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, this Fair is enough. what I do for work. It's just, you know, I liked Vikings more because it had more of a a human connection. And I guess there's also that that component to the story that it's based on real life, that real shit that happened. Yeah. I just was never a big Game of Thrones person. Ah, that's all right. As long as you've seen enough of it. Like, I, I can't stand the people who only watch half of the first episode of something and then go like, oh, I don't get it. I don't like it. And then I'm like, well, you didn't. I've seen enough. You know, you gotta you gotta try food you're not used to at least a couple times too. You know what I mean? I don't I don't like those people who make a decision after only trying something once. So at, at least you've seen enough. I've had of it. lima beans once, and they're the worst things that have <laughs> ever been put on my plate. <laughs> they're pretty bad. Thank you. But uh, I, I like Game of Thrones. It's fun. I like the I like the. You just called Game of Thrones fun. <laughs> I like it. Well, yeah, I don't watch things like people watch TV shows. I don't get lost in the world. I know that it's all fake. I, it's fun. It's a roller coaster ride. It's not. It's not. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I don't see it as dark or anything. Even it's just a bunch it. of actors I, I saying lines. You're it's a buzzkill. Not... You don't like Disneyland. You don't buy into the whole escapism thing. Is no. and you don't. Uh, you don't get immersed into these fictional worlds because there's. I'm the youngest looking old man on the planet. <laughs> You're like living a Benjamin Button lifestyle. Pretty much. Okay. I hate 3D movies too. Well, can't stand it. There's 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 a gimmick there. I mean, if it's justifiable to the story, I'm maybe. Just saying, it's so cheap. Like uh, it's a cheap uh, parlor trick. We don't need it. Like just tell a good story. I don't want to sit in a dark room wearing sunglasses. It's silly. It the whole thing's silly. Just tell a good story, and if your movie's good, it'll stand on its own. We don't need the gimmick. And then also. Like you were saying about Disneyland or whatever, I'm the type of person who will never forget that he's sitting in a theater. You're never going to convince me that I'm in the world of Iron Man or whatever. So why even try? I understand that I'm watching a movie. Just entertain me. That's all. Welcome to Pruner TV, where we talk about movies. (laughs) Sorry. With Brett Davern. Well, they tried 3D TV. It (laughs) didn't work. Well, yeah, I have friends who have them, and that, but that's... That's a whole different thing. They don't thing. even sell 3D TVs That's anymore. That's a whole different thing, though. Like, having 3D programming in your living room. Yeah. I draw the line there. Like, at Why? that point, it's just good storytelling and a good picture. You know, putting sunglasses on in your living room, you might as well just be doing virtual reality shit. Like, yeah. might as well if you're going to be wearing, like, those stupid-looking See, that's dumb, too. I don't get into the virtual reality thing, either. You hate fun. It's not fun. It's blurry. It's not even good. I, oh, oh, let me wear a thing that puts my cell phone two inches in front of so, my eyes. So I'm going to get into some TV oh, you know, topics uh, Hey, today. listen, you wanted me to sit in the studio, all right? 
Did I? Yes. Because <laughs> I came in and you were here. What do you mean? Maddie's out of town. I said, I'll press the buttons. I didn't know this well, until this, I came it's in. It's your today. show. Tell me to shut up. All right. Shut up, Brett. Okay. Um, the Walking Dead had its season eight finale on uh, Sunday. Speaking of things I can't stand. Yep. And actually, I'd be interested in your input here. Um, oh, really? They, do you want yeah. me to talk? Oh, sure. All right. Uh, the, we've already talked before about The Walking Dead, and I'm now always very aware of how wet Rick is in every scene he's the in. wettest actor in Hollywood. But, like, that man's sweat glands. I know it's hot in Atlanta, he's, but... He's either wet with sweat or blood or maybe it's actual water. I don't know, but he's yeah. wet all the time. Yeah, everyone else... Like, you can cut your hair. Cut your hair, Rick. Ugh. Um, so season eight had its finale over the weekend, and Rick and Negan finally had their big showdown... Which, That's been happening for like four years now. Three, it was started in season six, and they built it up like this is the big one. He's gonna kill Negan. Well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but Do it. there are spoilers coming up. So uh, turn your radio to silent, I guess, for the next few. It minutes. already aired. Do it. In the comics, Rick doesn't kill Negan, and they went with that storyline. So he goes and slits his throat, but then says, "Fix him." And, like, first off, how what? do you know? Wait, what? Yeah, how do you know the precision in which you're slitting a man's throat that it's not going to kill him? What? And then you have him fixed, and now you're going to hold him as a prisoner. It was such a letdown. You're going to hold him as a prisoner? Yeah, he's a prisoner now. To show that the, that civilization and the rule of law is still is important, and he's going to do his time. Instead... Of killing the man for bashing in your friends' heads. And, you know, it's, I just, it Listen, was such a letdown. As an actor who's out there auditioning all the time and has the possibility of meeting these producers and trying to get a different job from them or maybe be on Walking Dead, let me just say that that show is fantastic. Huh. And I love every minute of it. Huh. But as an audience member, uh-huh. that show sucks. Yeah. And it has sucked for a long time and it's boring and I don't care. And it was way more interesting when it was about the zombies and trying to find out why everything happened and all that. Like, all that kind of early season stuff was right. so interesting. And this whole th- – is like that guy who walks around and he pauses in every line. The guy you're talking about with the barbed wire bat. And yeah. he's like, he's like, oh, yeah. Rick, wrong answer. Yeah. Like, he's the worst mustache-twirling villain that I've ever yeah. seen. Right. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to take over the. No, I just, no. But you're saying horrible. you're saying you're saying what I'm saying. I hate choose, it. Uh, so Negan boring. was the best and worst thing to happen to The Walking Dead because he was the biggest villain to come to the show. There was all this buzz behind him in the comics, but he became such a scenery chewing bad guy that he overshadowed everyone else and made Rick look stupid and Daryl look stupid and Michonne like. I just wanted to see more Negan, and then it got to the point where he was just ruined everything because then you weren't really getting any other sides to his character. Yeah. It was just one note. Right. And once you show how visceral and violent he can be, that sets an expectation mark for the show to hit, and they never quite hit it again. So I feel like that was the apex where it really started going downhill in Season 7. Now, mind you... There were moments in the finale that were interesting. Eugene had a big uh, uh, um, reveal that that was surprising. But also, they've been building up to this for a while. Morgan, Lenny James, um, left the show. And he moved over to Fear the Walking Dead. Which Which, one's he? 
black you gotta guy, remind black me. guy with the stick with the staff. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That Rick meets very early on. Yes. Which was is when I liked the show. He, yes. Him and his and, son and the whole and thing very eight, early. Season eight kept uh, referencing that. Also, he's gone. Yeah, he's now on Fear the Walking Dead. And how they, does that work? Well, he left, and Fear the Walking Dead has a. They had a time jump from season three to this new season. So he runs into these new people. Like, like Morgan oh. just fucking leaves. Interesting. And that was the most interesting part of it. Mm-hmm. Morgan is now on Fear the Walking Dead, which I've been catching up on, and it's gotten better. And I think part of the reason why Fear the Walking Dead is got is gotten better than The Walking Dead is they don't have to rely on the comic book subject matter that fans hold so dear. That that that's the problem, yeah. You know what else with Walking Dead is that uh, I started to get annoyed with it because every conversation in the show became the same conversation, which is one character wants to go this way and the other group of characters wants to go this way, and then they just argue about it, no matter what it was. Yeah, Rick, we should stay here. No, we should leave. We should follow this person. We should follow that person. It's just it's it's just gets every scene was the same scene over and over and over and over. This is so boring. So the the premiere of Fear the Walking Dead, they, it happened this past Sunday. It was called Survival Sunday on I'd AMC. Probably, I'd probably like that show. Uh, the, the episode was like a standalone Walking Dead episode just following Morgan. That's the best. I and love when they would do that. On Fear the Walking Dead Season 3, they brought in an actor from Deadwood that reunited with Kim Dickens, who was the star of the show who was on Deadwood. And they brought in another Deadwood actor in Season 4. And I'm like, just keep bringing in the Deadwood actors. That makes this feel like... The Wild West, but post-apocalyptic Wild West, uh-huh. which it kind of is, but with zombies, and I'm fine with that. Um, having Morgan on the show makes me more interested in watching the I show. I like that character a lot. But I don't know how strong that's going to be to keep me coming back. But it's an interesting move AMC has made, because they probably saw, well, The Walking Dead's dwindling in numbers. Fear the Walking Dead has promise, but needs more viewers. Let's cross them over. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Um... I got one final thing here. Coachella happened this past weekend. And speaking of Coachella, I don't know if you remember the fire festival that was a big train wreck. It was from Ja Rule and this millennial oh, guy. Oh, yeah. It, it was this thing that happened in the, I think it was the Bahamas. They or, took a bunch of people to an island and then they showed up and there was like, it was supposed to be luxury housing, but it was yeah. just tents and they were supposed <laughs> to have food, right. but it was just like Velveeta cheese. Yes. Yeah. It was a complete disaster. There were rats and it was like, um, you know, it was like, it, speaking of post-apocalyptic, there were videos that had surfaced of people, you know, it's supposed to be at pools with cabanas and it looked like a, like a hole with, with no water in it. And the cabanas were just like run down huts. Um, and, uh, sponsors ended up pulling out and people had paid a lot of money yeah. to go to this. But then artists started pulling out of the shows and they had a pretty good lineup, at least on the website, but it was mostly expectation that they couldn't follow through on. Tickets were like $250,000. That was a couple years go. ago. Yeah, it was, I think, 2016 or 2017. Well, Hulu has gotten the rights to the docu-series about the Fire Festival. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, Ja Rule was one of the names attached the guy, the millennial guy that was running it, he pleaded guilty in court for like misleading people. It was oh, such man. a train wreck. And now there's a docuseries coming to Hulu in 2019 that's going to examine the behind the scenes goings on and the investigation into everything that failed in bringing this 
this like top level uh, music festival to life. <laughs> I'm there for this. This, is, this sounds amazing, and uh, it makes me it makes me think of a post apocalyptic Coachella. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for agreeing. <laughs> um, Alex Rich is going to be in the studio with us when we return after these messages. Uh, actor Alex Rich plays young Pablo Picasso in the new season of Genius on Nat Geo. Um, and he's in the studio with me today. And I got to say, Nat Geo has some great swag. I was oh, just thinking stop. I was just thinking about the Television Critics Association when I went. And I'm like, I'm, I'm at home putting my shoes on. And I'm like, wait, my headphones are Nat Geo? Dude, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to grab them right now and show you. I have these sweet Nat Geo headphones. So basically, I called you in here so that you can just give me the hookup on all things Nat Geo. I'm no, kidding. I'm, I'm walking away with those, right? Those are, are no, I'm, I'm taking. No, I'm you're taking not. But, uh, but yeah, I have. I have so cool. My wife was like, I want to go with you. Anyways, Alex, thanks for joining me. Ah, thanks for having me. Um, we were saying outside before we started recording, this is the first time you've done a press day or a press tour for a show. And I can imagine how dizzying it can all be. Like, you get up really early and suddenly you're on, like, a morning show. I used to work in the KTLA newsroom. Okay. And, like, I would see all the time just random celebrities would be coming in looking like, where's my coffee at 6.30 <laughs> in the morning? As I sip mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were bonding over a cold brew outside. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I am I am good. I have my coffee and my, my fancy headphones away from your reach. See? Um, we're the same. The first time I noticed you was on Glow, actually. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk to me about how you got started in acting, because I was looking at your IMDb, and you've been doing this for for, uh, for a minute, but like... No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I was doing music before, and I had an issue with my voice. I needed to find a new outlet for storytelling, so I switched and started doing it with acting. And um, got headshots taken, sent them out. Started auditioning, and now I'm here. Look, I don't mean this to sound, uh, make you uncomfortable, but you're not difficult on the eyes. Oh, well, geez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank what you. kind of music? Um, I did a bunch. I did I did all, all kinds of different things. I, I was involved in a bunch of different projects. I was a singer, so um, I had a band. I did, like, a pop project. I, I you know, just wow. ran the gamut. I mean, once a singer, always a singer, right? Though, like you, still, I'm assuming if it's anything like being an artist, if you're a painter, like Pablo Picasso, hey. and we see I tied it back around, or an <laughs> actor, you could take breaks. But doesn't that sort of inv uh, like like isn't that a part of your identity? Isn't that how you see the world? Yeah, it is. I just uh, I I have paresis in my right vocal cord, so you I had what? to paresis. It's like paralysis, temporary oh. paralysis. So wow. I had to sideline and switch directions. So here I am. That's interesting. I didn't even know that. Wow. You're already blowing my mind. Hey. Okay. So you were in season one of Glow was Florian. He well, <laughs> yeah. was he now uh I watch wrestling. He was the announcer, right? Or he yeah kind of. at the at the end. He he um he when they got when they got the Sebastian. bigger location yeah. and they televised it. He wasn't he wasn't I mean he was uh he delivered the crown. Oh. Yeah. How but nice. He was Sebastian's you know friend okay who was producing the show yeah that must have Bash. been a, that, that yeah. must have been an experience uh i did theater with jackie tone oh amazing uh, everybody back knows in jackie 2003 it's crazy how uh things come back around mm -hmm. um so okay 
Uh, I'm assuming we're not going to see you in season two of Glow. Uh, because well, you you'll, were... you'll have to wait and see. Oh, damn, really? Yeah. Okay, you're going to do me like that. I know. All right. I can't give you spoilers. Well, that's fine. Let's just move on to Picasso then, because <laughs> okay. I watched the first episode yesterday, and um, much like season one, which was all about Albert Einstein, it's so cinematic. The, the, yes. the production value of this show... Uh, does not feel like a TV show. It doesn't even feel like it belongs on television. Yeah, Matthias Herndl, our, our DP, his eye and his and his the the aesthetic that he accomplishes is is otherworldly. It's incredible. Okay, so talk to me about the audition process and and um, getting cast in this role because I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm 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 under the impression this is the first big like yeah, you're is, you're leading the charge here. Yeah, it's my first it's my first lead. Um. I auditioned about 10 minutes away from here in my Valley Village apartment. Oh, oh, you put it on tape. Yep, I did a self-tape and we sent it to London. Brett and I have been talking about self-tapes recently. It's <laughs> it's it's a crazy thing now. Yeah. Like you're just comfortable and you I was just talking to my manager about this yesterday. Just just make a self-tape and turn it into a demo reel. I'm like that's a thing? It is. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like it. It's like no holds barred just and no 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 frills. Just really? you sitting no, no fancy lighting or makeup. Just, I don't just have doing any the light. camera. I use natural light. I put my iPad on a tripod and have my downstairs neighbor Chris come up and read with me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, is it difficult then to get yourself in a mindset to play a character like this when you're in the comfort of your own apartment? See, my manager, that beast. He, uh, he kind of didn't tell me that I had four extra days, so we did it oh. same day. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, he said, I need this back ASAP. And so I, I, I turned it around in a couple hours and it was, you know, like 15 or 18 pages and Damn. an accent and a period and a real person. And I was like, all right, thank you, Ran. That's, Shout out. That's probably what got you the part though, right? That, it, yeah, that intensity, completely out of that, my head. that urgency. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Okay. So you got the part. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> whenever, whenever an actor plays a, a role that is uh, based on a real person, person, there's like one of two ways you can go. You do a lot of research about this person to make sure that you get it right, or you do your best to bring your own truth to it without betraying the the legend. And yeah. um, from what I under from what I'm the direction I'm looking at this is we all kind of are more familiar with the older Picasso. Um, what was your research process like? Did did they give you sort of like free reign to to make this your own? Well, uh, yes. I mean, I mean, I I read a bunch of books. I had Antonio as a great resource because he's from Malaga and and knows Picasso so well, having grown up there. Um, and I, you know, you read as much as you can. The scripts are very well researched, and we tried to stay as true to his life as as we could, and. Uh, it was a marrying of those two different versions that you were talking about, I think, because we wanted to make sure that we told the story of the person, young and old, and we also wanted to make sure that we did his real life justice and brought that forward. Yeah. Well, I've seen the – I've only watched the first screener, the first episode, Me and too. it was – it was um, – you know, I, I tune it like last year. Uh, it was Jeffrey Rush as Einstein, but I feel like the real highlight was him as his younger self. Oh, and. <laughs> Watching um, watching this, first off, it made me want to go to Spain 
and Europe. Yeah. Like I, I went Absolutely to should. I went to Paris uh, for my honeymoon uh, like four years ago, and just every every time there's any sort of sign uh, or scene of Europe in a movie or a TV show, my wife and I get all weepy. Um, <laughs> but but also flip that around it's like you're telling a story that's at the turn of the century and what better place it's like you can go so many places in europe and you don't have to dress anything up it still looks exactly the same yeah. as opposed to if you did out here you're at a you're on a back lot right um so let's talk about that because you shot on location right oh yeah we we shot mostly on location and that was incredible my first day on set we i got picked up i think at like midnight or 1 a.m and they brought me straight up to Sacré-Cœur in Paris. Mm. <laughs> so we, we they shut down the church, cathedral, and had us shooting on the steps, which is insane. Yeah. And then they took us from there to Musée d'Orsay, and because they were that was it used to be the train station. I give you an A plus for pronunciation. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it used to be the train station, and and that's where yeah. Picasso would have arrived. So they yeah. they brought us there, and we shot in the actual. That scene felt very Harry Potter to me. <laughs> Just because I was like, train stations don't look like that anymore. Yeah, no, it was it was crazy. Yeah, there was a scene where, um, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but you just mentioned uh, France, where you guys are walking through Paris, and I'm like, I completely believe this is, you know, 1890, whatever. Like, Yeah, they shut down the bridge for us, too, for, for that scene. How Okay, so how crazy is that, That's though? insane. Like, That's... Where, do, do you get looky-loos in Europe? As opposed to in America where everyone has their iPhone out trying to take pictures. Or is everyone just like, ah, stupid, stupid entertainment business people. This is my really bad French accent. Stupid entertainment business. It just sounds <laughs> yeah. like I'm an angry guy in, in the subway <laughs> in, the, in New York. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I remember when we were at the museum for our second stop, like people, because they couldn't shut down the street. So people yeah. were driving by with their cameras in their windows. And I was like. We're oh, okay. We must be a spectacle. Yeah. But when they shut down the whole bridge, we didn't have any looky loos because no one could get to us. That's so crazy. That that scene, it felt like I, it feels to me like it's kind of difficult to do something like that, unless if you have a big production. And I mean, this is this is what Brian Grazer and Ron Howard. That yeah, are no like, big deal. You know, pulling the strings from above, like <laughs> you can get away with doing whatever. That's yeah. that's amazing. And cinematically, it looks brilliant. But also, clothing-wise, I'm not going to try to get too geeky here, but uh, you were wearing some pretty badass wardrobe in this. Yeah. Sonu, our, our costume designer, is extraordinary. The jacket that I'm wearing is she she made all oh, the the really the, nice dinner jacket yeah, you the, brought to the recording session yeah, today the, the red velvet nice <laughs> dinner jacket i brought in the morning um she she made and down to the buttons she was period appropriate and made sure that even the underwear that i was wearing underneath stuff yeah had to be right so, so i'm was, uh, i'm kind of a fan of like really retro hats like the one i'm wearing and, which i uh, dig Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Very much. Uh, seeing the show and seeing the world brought to life, there is a show called The Alienist that was on um, yep. TNT. The premiere of that show, they had it on the back lot of uh, Warner Brothers, uh -huh. and they turned it all into uh, the golden – was it the golden age? The uh, turn of the century. It was like 1900s. So the whole back lot was kind of similar to the era in which yeah, uh, your story takes place. They were shooting in Budapest when we were shooting in Budapest. Oh, really? There are, there are a few productions that, that shoot out there. So we – yeah, there's this place called Brody Studios that they uh, 
put all the actors in. Oh wow, yeah, because yeah. they brought everything to life. They had like they had performers there who were like criminals on the street, and then cops would come up and arrest them. And they'd have street vendors and a talent show. But they had a haberdashery where they were handing out coins to to us, and we went in, and it was like you can trade in this coin for a piece of clothing from the shop. And what? And I walked in, and none of the hats fit me. It's like <laughs> my wife got a nice fur. That she walked out. It was faux fur, not real. Okay. Don't get angry. Yeah, don't um, animals. And uh, it turned out it was uh, Gurren Brothers, and okay. the guy that was the head of the shop, uh, the Gurren Brothers in my area, <laughs> saw I'm me later, sure. and he was like, I sold you that hat, didn't I? And I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, yeah, you did. The hat you. I'm currently wearing is one of the only hats on the planet that fit my head. Um, <laughs> so um, how long were you out there shooting? I left in October and I and I came back in at the end of February. So what is that? Five and a wow. half months. So it's like it's like shooting a movie. Yeah, yeah. We we have ten episodes. So we we went in. We went in yeah. on it. So you mentioned Antonio Banderas. I did. And uh, he's the the big name attached to this. You didn't actually work with him. Well, right? not on camera, but we we worked together very closely off camera to try to present a unified oh you did yeah okay that's interesting because there is a show called the sun that was on amc and uh pierce brosnan played the same character as this young actor and they didn't according to them they did not meet to uh to To discuss yeah yeah and i i find that process interesting because you're playing the same person yeah no we 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 definitely met and worked very closely that makes a lot of yeah. sense and he's a big fan of picasso yeah well it, it, there's being from malaga and growing up and walking past his house every day he wow. had a lot of yeah a lot of pressure in playing in playing pablo i think because he's they're the two you know sons of malaga they're the two exports yeah wow <laughs> that's 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 oh, that's crazy i mean you know i watch it now and i think well, Antonio Banderas is perfect for this role. But then when you he think is. of him in like Desperado in the 90s and I'm like, he's going to play Picasso in 20 years? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but my question to you about this is, did did you did he have any sort of sage advice for you? Oh, yeah. Uh, even unintentionally. One of one of the one of the things that I'm that I'm taking very <laughs> seriously, I guess, is that he told me to take my time with what I what I do next you know make sure that you choose the right job and and not the right now job and uh yeah that's a nice that was that just it it took a lot of pressure off of me that's a that's actually a really good piece of advice yeah especially where you're at right now yeah um was there any big surprising thing you learned about picasso in your research oh there's so much i you know i i i I get asked that question sometimes i think that it was really just because i didn't know anything about the man i knew a little bit about his art before I started, but I didn't know anything about the guy behind it. So learning all the little, the little human things, you know, the, I read like Fernando Olivier's diary, which, you know, kind of goes through their relationship together because they were together for seven years. And there are these little pieces that you can pick up about just who he was and kind of the, the childlike exuberance that he had, which goes both ways, but things like his, his love for animals <laughs> and the shrine that he built for her to try to seduce her and yeah. just how how in love he was with love and 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 that whole part of his life was nice to find out. Wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um 
being that you were playing a uh, <clears throat> renowned painter, mm-hmm. did uh, did you have any experience painting? Was there were there any like like artist painting tips or you have to hold the brush the right way or if you stand a certain way this isn't going to look believable yeah so i i painted with oils when i was a kid and stopped pretty young but um this artist andre merida he came to the bull ring in malaga and we did a lesson together he's he's also from malaga and he his works all over the the city and uh he helped me figure out just how to paint a little bit more for camera and also mm. how to paint more in that style, just little tips and and stuff about how to use the brushes more right. effectively to, to tell the story. Um, but yeah, so, so we, we painted together for an hour. Wow. That must be fun. That was fun. And also the charcoal. You know, it, it's, it's all about really confident strokes. Yeah, yeah. Because Picasso was very confident in his art. So you have to... He wasn't one of those, you know, micro people. He, he wasn't he, a Bob Ross is what you're saying. There were no <laughs> little happy clouds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can you can see it in some videos of him when he's older. He's, he's like, there's one where he's drawing on glass, and it's like in 30 seconds he's already drawn a figure. And one of his most famous is this this dove, Paloma, named yeah. after his daughter, which means peace. And he, um, or she stands for peace, and, you know, it's just an outline. But it's so iconic and so learning how to set that up. I'm going to hit you with the most actory question I have in okay. my repertoire right now. Are you ready for uh, the Inside the Actor's Studio question? Let's go. What big thing did you learn about yourself playing Pablo Picasso? Ah. Ah. Uh, playing somebody who's reached that level of success, you know, you learn a lot about the determination and the focus that was required. So he was working every day, all day. He created over forty thousand paintings, or wow. not paintings, but works in his yeah. in his life, and um, the level of of devotion and focus that was required, I really had to kind of dive into for the for the part and try to bring that into my life. Yeah, is uh, going to be my struggle. <laughs> yes, but it's also going to be your gift. Oh, uh, we'll see. Alex, where can people find you online if they would like to connect with you? Ah, well, I am at Alex Jordan Rich on the Instagrams and the Twitters. Yes, um, I tagged you in a post. You did, you <laughs> did. You can find me on Pruner TV's podcast post. Yes, that is me. That is you. Oh, man, I want to thank you for stopping by. Is there something big next on the horizon for you? Oh, or are you yet. taking your time and I am, you're picking and choosing? Yeah, I am, I am gainfully unemployed. Ah, it must be nice though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get to you know talk about the last job for a little bit. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Well, the last job is really worth uh, your time, dear listeners. Uh, Genius Picasso premieres Tuesday, April twenty fourth on Nat Geo. I want to thank Alex Rich one more time for coming in. This is a great show. You guys should really check it out. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. We are in the home stretch. Are you excited? I know I am, and I still have my coffee here, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is a perfect source of hydration because in my coffee, there is a good amount of filtered water. So for anyone who says coffee is a diuretic, my argument is, but there's water in coffee, and water helps you live. It is. It sustains you. We are... We are Mostly water, 
our bodies are celestial beings. We are mostly water. We don't we're not drowning in drought personally, our own bodies. This this I'm holding this coffee cup up as a symbol of my life and and the sustenance that brings you through from day to I'm gonna shut up now and get to the TV. Aaron? Yeah. This just in from Google. I was Googling while you were talking. Yes, Brett. Juices and sports drinks can also be hydrating. You can lower the sugar content by diluting them with water. Coffee and tea also count for your daily hydration tally. Oh. Many, hold on, it gets better. Many used to believe that they were dehydrating, but that myth has been debunked. The diuretic, the diuretic effect does not offset hydration. So you can say that they're a diuretic and that they're hydrating and be correct by saying both things. You know what you just did, Brett? And that was from WebMD, by the way. Yeah. And then also at the end it says, and also you have cancer. Oh, cool. Because WebMD ends all yeah, their articles yeah, like yeah. that no matter what you're You know what you up. just did, Brett? Yep. You busted a myth. I, I just helped you prove that you were myth, correct. And that leads me into something I wanted to talk about. See? Mythbusters was a show on the Discovery Channel that went off the air, I think, two years ago. Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman called it quits, and then Nerdist ended up rebooting Mythbusters with uh, one of their own uh, online to continue to, to carry the torch forward. Well, just two years later, Adam Sandwich, Adam Sandwich, Adam Savage. I mean, that'd be a great name. That Honestly, that'd be my porn name if I chose because sandwiches are great. Adam Savage is returning to the world of Mythbusters with a show called Mythbusters Jr. Oh. And much like MasterChef Jr., he's going to be working with kids. But this is cool. Uh, in the show, he's going to be mentoring six young people who specialize in STEAM. That's science, technology, engineering, arts, and math to try and figure out what's what in the world. Um, throughout the 10-episode season. So I don't know if it's going to be a competition thing or if it's going to be like Mr. Wizard or Bill Nye the Science Guy where these, you know, promoting the importance of science uh, on, a, on a more childlike level because I don't think we have much of that programming anymore. Even though Bill Nye does have a show on Netflix, uh, we are currently living in a, in a reality where science is not really shown as being as important as it should be. Um, well, it's and, all just theories. Aaron. Sure. Yeah. No, I get it. it. There's truthiness and there's truth. I, from the world of Stephen Colbert to to my, from the genius of Stephen Colbert to my mouth, I get it. You know, there's fake news and real news, and there's a lot of people out there who believe the world is flat. Well, science doesn't prove anything. It's just theories. Sure. No, I get it. The Earth is flat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> climate change isn't real. But 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 also Jesus is, and the rapture will happen eventually. That's because everyone agrees on it. Do we all? Does everyone agree that The Walking Dead sucks? <laughs> is that is that like a consensus? I think so. That's that's <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, there's a documentary that the, two days after WrestleMania happened, a documentary premiered on HBO about Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched it yet. was so good. And um, growing up at the, the, at, the, at the time where WWF became this big movement, it's interesting to watch because I've seen documentaries before about the early days of wrestling and how before Vince McMahon 
turn the WWF into what now is the WWE, everything was fractured throughout the country. Every territory had a different wrestling company. And to tour around the, the, the country and even the world, it was kind of like being a struggling musician with a manager trying to book you uh, shows. And the schedule these wrestlers had were insane. They would go fight maybe three or four you know shows a, in, a, in a couple of days. And then they would get in a van and drive to the next thing and, and stay in shitty hotels and not really live a glamorous life all to just put on this like gladiator style show well andre the giant was like the first big celebrity in that world even before wwf branched out and and turned things televised which ended up skyrocketing and became this huge pop culture phenomenon with the help of hulk hogan and all that uh, this documentary went into many things about andre the giant i did not know. And it was so emo like Kelly was sitting there watching it with me, my wife, and it made her teary eyed. And she's not even into wrestling. Uh, when I was a kid, I had an Andre the Giant doll. You know, I had the different wrestling dolls and I would throw them around. When I say doll, they were like rubber and you could like bounce them off of walls and I had oh, a yeah. wrestling ring and everything. Um, what's crazy about Andre the Giant is by the time he was 19 years old, he was almost over seven feet tall. <laughs> he grew so fast that his family stopped recognizing him. Wow. Uh, he ended up being roughly around seven feet, four inches tall. There was uh, like different details about him that were talked about in this documentary that he liked farting. Apparently he was he was he was really <laughs> known for his like monstrous flatulence and I guess he had a <laughs> reputation for farting on his opponents. <laughs> Which I can totally appreciate and respect from from my perspective as an inappropriate He's, uh, man. He's listed as seven feet four inches tall and five hundred and twenty pounds, which is crazy. And he had the signature move where when he would go into the the ring, he would step over the top rope, which is like oh right. You know, like, instead of uh, most wrestlers, they pull the ropes apart and they kind of squeeze yeah, through yeah, them. He, he went right over the top. Right, yeah, no <laughs> problem at all. Um, and uh, one of the biggest moments in this documentary for me personally, I remember watching WrestleMania three where Hulk Hogan ended up fighting Andre the Giant in the ring. And that was at a moment in in Andre the Giant's life where his health was failing. He had bad knees because of his condition and a bad back growing so quickly yeah um he had a medical condition and he decided to not get surgery for it because he was afraid it was going to affect his work and he just accepted he was going to not live a long life and this bout that he had with with hulk hogan like it was i you know i know wrestling is choreographed but hulk hogan's talking about how he mapped it all out he wrote the match down on a piece of paper mm. and it was like it was like choreographing a dance number. Sure. And watching it go through that and him not knowing how it's going to end because Andre the Giant was also unpredictable. He was really stressing out. This was the biggest audience wrestling ever had up until that point, And he didn't know how the match would end. And apparently while they were in the ring, Andre the Giant whispered to him, body slam. Hulk Hogan was the first person to body slam Andre the Giant. Lift him over his head and slam him. That's a 500-pound man. And that was an epic moment in wrestling. I remember as a kid, I was losing my goddamn mind. But then soon after that, 
his career started going downhill because of his health and everything. Plus, there's the simple idea that this is a seven-foot-tall giant guy who is recognized everywhere he goes. He has no sense of privacy. And they were talking about when he would fly around uh, the world to do d different events, he had to take up two seats on an airplane, and he couldn't fit into the airplane bathroom. So they had to close the curtains in the front, and he had to piss in a bucket. Oh, my gosh. And they then had to, like, you know, empty the bucket into the toilet in the bathroom for him. And a body slam him. Oh, is that what you're saying? Oh, God. Keep bringing it back. How long is this clip, Brett? Just a second. I'm getting there. Here it is. Here it is. Wait. Here it is. That was amazing. I, mean, I remember getting that on pay-per-view. And when I was a kid, pay-per-view, that was a thing unto itself. That was an event. Oh, right yeah. now, WWE Network, you just buy the app and you can watch all of their programming on online at the at your fingertips. I'm not going to talk too much more about Andre the Giant, but this is a ah, it's so cool though. It's a fantastic documentary, yeah. and it really brought me back. And it's really sad. I mean, he ended up after his dad passed away. He went to he went to Paris, where he's from France. And uh, stayed in a hotel, and his, he went to say goodbye to his dad, and then died in his bed, yeah, by himself. That's a shame. Which is it was so sad. But um, you get to see a lot of people, a lot of big wrestling personalities talk in this documentary. You have Ric Flair, you have uh, Hulk Hogan, which I think it's his first time really talking about stuff and being in the limelight again after uh, all that controversy that happened with the sex tape and, and the racial epithet that he spouted in this tape that he didn't know he was on, even on that ended up taking down Gawker and yeah all that. And there's a documentary coming out about that, too. It's already out, actually. Is it? I'll look it up. Um, moving on, speaking of science, we talked about science uh, with, the mis with the Mythbusters thing. There's two science things I want to talk about. I feel like hopefully there are going to be more and more shows coming that are going to be focusing on the, 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 you know, the magnificence and the importance of science in our culture and in entertainment uh the whole colgan documentary is called nobody speak trials of the free press and it came out in 2017 oh all right well there you go um there was a show on nat geo the same channel that has genius picasso called one strange rock and um it's all available i think every episode is available to watch it premiered i think last month or earlier this what day is it I think it premiered in March or maybe the beginning of April. Uh, Will Smith is the narrator, and it's it's executive produced by Darren Aronofsky. This is the first time Darren Aronofsky has done anything TV related, and it's kind of like those the show Planet Earth. You know the shows that you would see on like Discovery, like Blue Planet or Planet Earth. But instead of showing you the magnificence of the planet that we live on on the ground level, they take a NASA approach and they bring in astronauts to speak of how different their perspective is of planet earth from their experience in space. Mm. And so there's a NASA component to it. And there's like, I think six different astronauts they bring in and they talk about their experience in space, working on the space station. One guy in particular ended up having a medical issue happen to him 
as he was doing a spacewalk, Whoa. he ended up getting – there was something wrong with it. it was, I don't even remember what the condition was called. But he had a tear form in his eye. And when you're in space, that tear does not drip down your face. It just becomes bigger and bigger until there's this huge blob in front of your eye. And the only way to fix it was he had to decompress his suit and let air out in order to let the water out because he couldn't see. And the water started getting into his other eyes vision. Imagine that if you're out in space and that happens to you. Yeah, that, that was kind of a nightmarish story. But he was telling his perspective on Earth. And in the process of hearing uh, these different astronauts' stories, they tie it into – just all these natural things that happen within the weather and how oxygen is produced and how everything is connected, how every person in on a biological level and every animal, microorganism, whatever, they're connected by these simple processes that we take advantage of and take for granted. Take for granted, yeah. It's really interesting, and it's beautifully shot, and it makes you feel small. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that if uh, – I've always thought this, that if you could – it, obviously, in a hypothetical world, if you could take every person and just like shoot them up into orbit, let them look at the Earth, and then bring them back down, no more wars, no more crime, no more anything. People would be nice to each other. I think you'd get a real perspective of, like you said, how small we are, how insignificant we are, how your time here is so short. Just treat it preciously. Treat everyone like you know. Be nice to everyone. Blah blah blah. Yeah. I think I think everyone would gain so much perspective so fast because your little problems that you have on a day-to-day basis would just, I don't know. They'd seem so much Minuscule, smaller. Yeah. Not important. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I wish we could do that, but. These people took, literally take a step back from the chaos <laughs> yeah. to view from outside yeah. the bubble. Yeah. And it, it's a really interesting and cool idea, I think. Uh, and worthwhile, it's a worthwhile watch just from the perspective of this is a Darren Aronofsky joint. And you know anything he's done has been visually impressive. Yeah, director of uh, Black Swan. Yeah, and and Mother and... uh, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. But Will Smith is the narrator, which is kind of interesting because you think Will Smith... Does he start it out by... They just show a picture of the Earth and he's like, Welcome to Earth. (laughs) The final show I want to talk about here, (laughs) which is also science-related in a way, but it's science fiction, Lost in Space. Lost in Space is a classic genre show sci-fi show that came out when all sci-fi was silly and uh, like 1950s right yeah Yeah. and they made a movie in the 90s about it but the movie was kind of bad uh netflix has rebooted it in a way and they 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 kicked the goofy shtick to the side and it's all i wouldn't say it's hard sci-fi it's not like the expanse in in how like gritty it gets but the show really focuses a lot on the aspect of family and teamwork within this family unit that is lost in space but also the importance of science and technology and innovation because each person child or adult has has skills and knowledge that helps them like medical scientific uh geological where it's like when you're watching this, usually you see adults take on full responsibility in in whatever the conflict is or the story is that is being told. Where here you have little kids that are saving the day or coming in with real info. Like there's a there's a in the first episode there is a thing that is talked to this kid talks about um, magnesium and how magnesium can burn through ice depending on if it's 
when it's uh, exposed to specific uh, settings in, in the environment, that's real. Even though this real thing that is real, like geological, chemical knowledge in science on Earth, that is being used in the story in a fantastical TV show about a family in the future that had to leave planet Earth after an extinction-level event to find a new place to create a new civilization. It's still grounded in these like facets of science that I think is really interesting, and that's kind of where shows like uh, Star Trek and uh, you know Isaac Asimov stuff, where you can pay attention to science and twist it a little bit to make it science fiction, but still have real issues and real, um, I don't know, uh, facts. Well, or... if you're going to give people some medicine, give them some sugar along with it, right? Yeah, I guess. Mary Poppins, like, oh, we'll teach you something, but you'll be entertained by this show at the same time. How much time. sugar were you given when you were a kid when you were given medication, Brett? Never. Me neither. I know. What the hell is that? I wanted it. That, that but now I get it with Lost in Space. Yeah, a there's, sugar a, with my medicine. there's a show called Legion that's also on that I am not caught up on, and that's also kind of you know high concept, sciency, comic book, fair on FX, and I wanted to talk about it, but I am not caught up. So this is me talking about Legion by saying I need to get caught up on Legion, <laughs> especially since I'm in episode four of season two, the oh. current season that is currently airing. Um. That's pretty much all I wanted to talk about today. Well, that's good, because you're out of time. <laughs> oh, great. Well, speaking of being out of time, I guess this is the point of the show, where I thank you all for listening to the show. And if you like what you have heard, please review us on iTunes. Subscribe, like, review. Uh, you can also follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as I said earlier, at Pruner TV. And, you know, if you're interested, I got another podcast out there where I drink alcohol and get stupid called Punch Drunk TV. Next week, my guest will be Adam Lustick from Comedy Central's new hit comedy, Corporate. It's already been renewed for a second season, and it's like office space, but even darker. I'm Aaron Pruner. That's Aaron Flux on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. I love you all.